couple things. Number one, uh, Sunday we start a new series in the book of Philippians. One of my favorite books. The only way to live and die, starting Sunday. Also, some good news, uh, and obviously we'll be able to sign more people up on the next couple Sundays, but we have just shy of 75 people signed up for the Revelation Seminar. So I'm expecting now, at this point, we'll probably have well over 100. So that's, a, that's an unbelievable group. So uh, really excited about that. Psalm 122 tonight. Before we read this psalm together and I share some thoughts with you tonight, let's remember that this is one of what's called the Psalms or Songs of Ascent. They are 15 psalms, in a a sense, inside the whole book of Psalms, from Psalm 120 through 134. And these psalms were all sung and written to be sung by travelers and pilgrims who would gather from all over Israel and would head to Jerusalem three times a year. These were worship. They're sort of their worship chorus book, if you were, their worship hymnal. These are the songs that they would sing on their way to Jerusalem. And they would come to Jerusalem uh, at Pentecost in the spring, Passover in early summer, and the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. And so they would come and sing these songs on the way. And again, it reminds us that worship is to be a lifestyle. It's not something that just happens when we get to the house of God like we did tonight. It's something that we do throughout the week, and then when we get to the house of God, it is just an overflow and continuation of our worship throughout the week. The reason they are called the Songs of Ascents, or Psalms of Ascents, is because it literally means to go up in elevation, to climb. Um, And that's what everyone had to do physically in Israel. Jerusalem was the high point. And so they would all go up to Jerusalem. But also the words go up, and we're going to see this tonight in this psalm, also in a sense are a a bywords, if you will, of worship. To go up in the Old Testament was to worship. And that's also symbolic of the fact that it wasn't just physically going up, it was spiritually going up. And as we go up to worship God, we climb spiritually. Okay? I mean, even as Nicole just pointed out, we're not just giving to the Lord, we're also receiving. So as we climb in worship to God, we climb spiritually as well. We'll talk more about that. So, follow along with me as I read the first of four songs of ascent that David wrote. Remember, ten of these are anonymous. We don't know who the author is. Four were written by David. Psalm 122, 124, 131, and 133, and one was written by Solomon, 127. So, a song of ascents by David. I was glad because they said to me, we will go to the Lord's temple. Our feet are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city designed to accommodate an assembly. The tribes go up there, the tribes of the Lord where it is required that Israel give thanks to the name of the Lord. Indeed, the leaders sit there on thrones and make legal decisions on the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love her prosper. 
May there be peace inside your defenses and prosperity inside your fortresses. For the sake of my brothers and my neighbors, I will say, may there be peace in you. For the sake of the temple of the Lord our God, I will pray for you to prosper. I've entitled this psalm, The Joy of Corporate or Public Worship. And I said public because I was talking one time about corporate worship and somebody asked me, are you talking about when business people get together and worship? And I was like, no, no, corporate just sort of is another word for community. Public worship. The joy of public worship. Now, the interesting thing about David writing this psalm is this. He's writing to encourage the people in the future. He is looking down time. And in his spiritual vision, he is trying to already create a culture that as yet doesn't exist. Why do I say that? Anybody know? The temple wasn't built under David, was it? It was Solomon, his son, who built the temple. So notice something here. David, in his leadership, is saying, I've got to get out in front of this. And I've got to begin, as the king of Israel, to create a culture where people will hunger and thirst to come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And he's already been building uh, Jerusalem and setting it up. Because remember, Jerusalem wasn't always, obviously, under the control of the Jews. It was actually under the control of the Jebusites. And they had to be driven out, and then the Jews took over Jerusalem and made it the capital, if you will, of, of their nation politically and also spiritually. And we see that here in this psalm. So that's very important. That's one of the things that leadership needs to do. Leadership needs to cast vision and see things ahead of time and begin to create even a culture for something even before it may even exist or come to be. In other words, it's being able to see things before they happen, if you will. That, that's vision. And that's what David had as the leader of the nation of Israel. Now notice what he says in verse 1, the, the kind of culture, if you will, or environment that he's trying to create. In a sense, that's what we're doing at the Oasis. We are trying and have been trying over these last seven and a half, now going on eight years, to create an environment and a certain culture within our church. A church that is focused on worship and on the Word of God. And where we, unlike many churches, do not make worship and the Word compete with each other, but actually cooperate with each other and sort of drive each other. So notice the culture that David's trying to create here. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the Lord's temple. The word glad here means to rejoice. It means to brighten up or light up. In other words, David is saying, we all as God's people should light up when we have an opportunity to come to the Lord's house and worship Him with our fellow worshipers. I was glad. Too often, even as New Testament Christians, and listen, my friends, if in the Old Testament they felt this way, so much more should we in the New Testament on this side of the cross with the indwelling Holy Spirit and all the advantages that we have that they didn't have. If they had that kind of fire in their belly, 
then we should all the more. Too often, as followers of Jesus Christ, coming to the Lord's house and worshiping God in community becomes a detached thing. It becomes a routine thing, a duty thing, a going through the motions thing, but not a a thing of anticipation and excitement and enthusiasm and passion. And yet David is saying that's the way it should be. We all should be so glad that we have the opportunity to come to the Lord's house and worship Him together. It should be something that we light up with to do. But notice something else. I was glad because they said to me, come on, we're going to the Lord's house, is basically what it's saying. And I want you to notice something there. First of all, there is the priority of coming to the Lord's house, but also there is the power of personal invitation in verse 1 of Psalm 122. This one who is glad is being personally invited by this group to say, come on, you come with us to the Lord's house. I cannot stress the power of personal invitations to people. It is the number one reason why people even come or visit a local church. It's personal. As much uh, money as, as churches can spend on advertising, the best way to get new people to come to your church, to any church, is personal invitation. There's something very powerful about that. And this even sort of goes another step. This is even saying to some, not to everyone, it's not possible for everyone, could you even have a ministry of making sure that certain people get to the house of God. I mean, when you think about it, that could be a full-time ministry for some people in our church. Where they say, look, I'll come by on Sunday or Wednesday night and I'll pick you up. I'll take you. I'll take you home. I'll make sure that you get there. That's the essence of what is being said here. Come on, you come with us. We're going to walk together. We're going to travel together to the Lord's house. You come. I love that. It's like we're gone and we want you to come with us. We want you to be included in that. And then, notice at the end of verse 1, we are going to the Lord's temple, his dwelling place. Now, obviously, we know that the Bible teaches that God cannot be contained in any structure. In fact, the earth, the universe cannot contain God. And the Bible teaches that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But there is something very significant, even from God's perspective, about the dwelling place, if you will, of God, where He has designated, this is where I will meet with my people. This, therefore, is a sacred space. This is a place where heaven and earth will intersect and where I, God, will literally intersect with my people there. 
That's powerful. That's why we here at the Oasis believe that this is no ordinary cafeteria. And it functions as a school cafeteria the rest of the week. But on Wednesday night, this is a sacred space. This is a place where God has said, I'm providing this for you where I and you all can intersect. And we should look at it that way. Just as we should look at the auditorium and all the classrooms and everything as sacred spaces. Why? Because they are set apart for God to come and meet with His people. That's what the temple was in the Old Testament. That's what the tabernacle was in the Old Testament. It was a place where God said, this is where I will meet with all of you. Now, yes, obviously, God can meet with us in our homes. He can meet with us individually. God can meet with us anywhere. But there is something special, even from God's perspective, about the place that He has designated where He says, I want to meet with all of you. My people in one place there. And that's what the temple was. And that's why it was so special to go there and to be a part of the community of worshipers. Verse 2. Our feet are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Have you noticed the progression, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, of these first three Psalms? Psalm 20, the guy was miserable. He was depressed. He was far away, living in a foreign land. He was beat down. Uh, He was discouraged because he was so far away from Jerusalem and from God's people. He felt all alone. And he longed and yearned to be there. Then last week we saw where they started off on their journey. Okay? They were on their way, if you will, but they haven't arrived yet. Now, Psalm 122, David, in a sense, puts their feet right smack dab in the middle of Jerusalem. And very interestingly, the word standing here in verse 2 means literally to present oneself. It's a concept I want us to think about as we come to the Lord's house. That we are literally, as individual worshipers, presenting ourselves to the Lord in the designated place that He has given to us. And notice the key word too, inside your gates, O Jerusalem. The very entrance to the city. God really impressed upon me this principle. What a difference one step can make between inside and outside. I mean, think about it. Say, say here's a door. If I don't step in, then I'm always out. (laughs) No matter how close I am, I'm still outside. And what God wanted to impress upon me, to impress upon all of you, was the difference one step can make in our relationship with God. All it takes sometimes is one step to come further inside. And so I would ask you tonight, what is that step maybe that we need to take in our personal relationship with God? To be a little bit more in. And what step do maybe we need to take as far as being a member of the body of Christ to where we're a little bit more in. 
Because part of the problem today, and we're going to talk about this on Sunday when we get to Philippians, is that there are way too many spectators who are still standing on the outside looking in, but really haven't come in and really gotten inside and started to get engaged and involved in all of that. We stand all the time on the outside looking in, and God is always saying, come. Come on in. Come inside. And that's exactly where they were. They were inside now the city gates of Jerusalem. Verse 3. Jerusalem is a city designed to accommodate an assembly. A couple things. First of all, the word Jerusalem, and I know that you're going to chuckle when you, if you have it, don't know this already. The word Jerusalem means a foundation of peace. Now you think about that. All through the history of Jerusalem, it's never been a city of peace. Never been a foundation of peace. But God always meant for Jerusalem to be a foundation of spiritual peace and physical peace. And one day that will be fulfilled when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom and his capital of his millennial kingdom will be in Jerusalem. And he will rule and reign over the entire earth from Jerusalem and it will be a foundation of peace. But there's also something else. Notice it says that Jerusalem was designed to accommodate an assembly. It means it was built to promote people coming together. That's why they designed it the way they did. It was, it was a way for people to easily come together and for crowds to be able to pour into that city and for the city to be able to accommodate great crowds and people to come together. God very much impressed upon me that as we move forward in the design and everything of our buildings, that we make sure that the church that we are designing is accommodating to people coming together and gathering together, and not just on Sunday and Wednesday but throughout the week, just for, for people of God to come together and hang out and be together. This is something very important to the heart of God. He always wanted Jerusalem to be a place where people could feel like, I can come here and we can all gather together and there's enough room for all of us, you see. And then verse 4. The tribes, notice Next two words, go up to worship there. Again, that's that words, go up. That's what everybody did when they were worshiping. They were going up physically, but they were also going up spiritually. Which, by the way, let me say this. If we're going up, that means we've got to put forth some effort. We can't go up in elevation without putting forth effort. If you're going to climb anything, you've got to put forth effort. And when we go up to worship, we've got to put forth effort. Now, the blessing that we get back, God just blesses our socks off. But we've got to put forth that. I mean, you think of the effort these people had. They left their homes, traveled miles and miles and miles to get to Jerusalem. You know, you hear people today with all their modern conveniences like, if I don't have a parking spot right next to the front door, I'm not going to that church. If, if I've got to walk, you know, 
30 steps to get into the church. Wow. And then Pastor Jeff had this crazy idea when he started the church that we're going to start the service at 10 o'clock. I'm just getting up at 5 till 10 on Sunday. How does he expect me to be there at 10 o'clock? That's too early. I'm like, well, you know, I tell people, well, we could have started at 9. And sometimes I feel like I should tell new people our services start at 9 to make sure that they get here by 10. Because, see, for me, the service doesn't start at 20 after 10 or 25 after 10 when our worship is over. In fact, in fact, this is what I've even told our leaders. Things on this campus don't even start at 10 o'clock. God begins to meet with us, His people, the very time that the very first person from our church walks on this campus on Sunday morning. Which, can I tell you, is about 7.30, right? 7.30. And my feeling is, if some of us can get here at 7.30, then the rest of you can get here at 10. That's all I'll say about that. The tribes... Notice the tribes of the Lord. What's he getting at here? David is reminding Israel, this is so cool. This is the way God is. There is such diversity and yet unity in the people of God. And God loves it when all of his people, as diverse as they are, all 12 tribes, come together as one in Jerusalem to worship him. I'm just going to give you a couple examples. I'm not going to go through all 12, but I'll give you a couple of examples of how diverse the 12 tribes were. You had the coastal dwellers of Zebulun. You had the highlanders of Dan. You had the farmers of Ephraim. And you had the desert rats of Reuben. I mean, if you study all 12 groups or all 12 tribes, they were all very different from different areas and, and, and different, you know, obviously a coastal person is going to have a whole different way of doing things than a mountain person does, right? And it was really cool how God put them all together and gave them all different spots in the land, but they were very different. And yet they were all one people of God. And they were all, to in a sense, leave you know, all the things that would maybe divide them and they would come together and they would be unified under the Lord and they would come and worship Him as one. And David loves that. He loves that it's the tribes, all twelve, that arrive in Jerusalem. Where it is required that Israel give thanks to the name of the Lord. Now, I want to say this, that, that makes it sound in verse 4 like God is requiring or demanding that people give thanks. That's not what's being said here. The requirement goes with what is said before. The giving of thanks comes later because God it doesn't want to force people to give Him thanks. That really wouldn't have any meaning at all to God. The requirement is that three times a year, the 12 tribes were required to come to Jerusalem. In other words, what David is saying is, you and I can't just worship God however we want to. We have to worship God the way He has designed and desired us to worship Him. So like in the Old Testament, God said, I want you to worship me in this way, at this time. 
And if we're going to be obedient, that's what we had to do. And you know, Jesus picked up on this same principle even in the New Testament when he said to the woman of Samaria, he says, my father is looking for true worshipers. Well, what are true worshipers? Those who worship him in spirit and what? In truth. According to his truth. I just can't come and just go, well, this is the way I want to worship God. I mean, let's go back again even further into the Old Testament. Cain tried to bring his own offering, but it wasn't what God required. That's why God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain, because Cain said, I'll come to God however I want to come to God. I'll present to God whatever I want to present to God. No. If you and I are going to worship Him acceptably, We've got to worship Him the way He's designed it. And so that's what it means here. God gave His people a solemn charge. This is how I want to be worshipped. But, as part of that, a big part of that, hopefully, is then, verse 4, giving of thanks to the name of the Lord. By the way, that Hebrew word also means, literally, to worship or praise. It, It could be translated Either of these three ways, give thanks, worship, or praise, you name it. That Hebrew word can be translated correctly any of those ways. And it's sort of the idea that worship is praise, it's giving of thanks, giving of thanks is praise, it's worship, it's all those things. But obviously the Net Bible landed on giving of thanks. And I like that, because as we're going to even talk about Sunday, it's important that God's people learn to be a thankful people learn to recognize and appreciate God's grace. Because that's really what thanksgiving is. Even in the New Testament, the Greek word for thanksgiving is eucharista, which has in the very middle of that word the word charis, which is the word for grace. Thankful for God's grace. Mindful of God's grace. Acknowledging God's grace in our lives, that fuels our thanksgiving. And then verse 5 through 9. It's really, these verses are all about one concept. It's about the fact that why was the political center of Israel and the spiritual center of Israel all in the same place? Because God wanted to show His people in a very dynamic and clear way that as my people go spiritually, so the nation will go physically, politically. As the nation goes spiritually, then the nation will go pros- you know, prosperity. If they forsake me, It's not going to be good for the nation. Because it's all tied together. That's why the Bible said, how blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. If God is not the Lord of any nation, the nation suffers. And so that's why David wrote, indeed, the leaders of this nation sit there on thrones and make legal decisions, literally administer justice, on the thrones of the house of David. Again, he was looking ahead going, one day, yes, the political 
seat is already there. One day the temple is going to be built and they're both going to be there together. And one is going to very much impact the other. If spiritually this nation goes into the tank, then guess what? The whole nation starts to go into the tank. That's why he says in verse 6, pray for the peace or welfare of Jerusalem. And may those who love her prosper. Why? Because again, as Jerusalem goes, so the temple goes. You see how it all ties together? If Jerusalem is always at war and stuff, and, and, and you know, it's, it's strife and all this, then obviously it's going to discourage the travelers and the pilgrims from coming up three times a year and worshiping God there. They're, they're not going to want to do that. They're going to stay away from Jerusalem. If Jerusalem is a place that's at peace and it's flowing with prosperity, then people will want to flow into it and worship the Lord there. So again, Jerusalem needs to be doing well because the temple's there and the king is there and it's all tied together. So then he goes on to say, May there be peace inside your defenses, your walls, your fortifications, and prosperity, security, safety inside your fortresses, literally your prominent buildings. For the sake of my brothers and my neighbors, I will say, may there be peace in you. And then notice verse 9, for the sake of the temple, the dwelling place of the Lord our God, I will pray for you to prosper. So let me bring this down very practically to us tonight. How can we apply that kind of principle where everything is tied together to us and where we live? I think this is how. We can start with obviously praying every day for our nation and its leaders. Because as our nation and leaders go, that affects us, doesn't it? And then, getting a little bit closer to home, we need to pray for our state. Because as the state of Arizona goes, that affects us, because guess what? Our church is in the state of Arizona. And then we need to pray a little bit even closer. We need to be praying for the Chandler-Gilbert area. Because as Chandler-Gilbert prospers, then that flows over to the Oasis Church, which is located in the Chandler-Gilbert area. And then we need to pray for this school. Because right now, this is where God has us, His church. We are meeting at Basha. So we pray for Basha. Because guess what? Did you ever think about, because I think these weird things, did you ever think about what would happen if Basha burned down? Where would we meet? This is the kind of thoughts that are going through David. David saying, you realize it's all tied together. As Basha goes, that affects the oasis. As Chandler Gilbert goes, that I mean, let's put it this way. Say Chandler Gilbert, all of a sudden, unemployment goes off the roof and people are just moving out. Obviously, that's going to negatively affect our church. More and more families are going to leave the area to go find jobs somewhere else. That affects, That's why David is saying, I'm praying for the prosperity of Jerusalem. Why? Because ultimately, God's temple is going to be affected by what happens in that city. By what happens politically in that city. By the decisions and choices that the leaders make as they sit on the thrones. It's all tied together. 
And then, let's look ahead. I think we all need to already be starting to pray for that piece of property over there at Queen Creek. Because I already think we are in a spiritual battle, my friend. I think this whole thing with the appraisals and everything, there is such a spiritual element involved with that. It's like one obstacle after another. And I just sense from the Lord, it's, it's spiritual in nature. And obviously, with the Lord's power and everything, we're, we're going to get through it. But we already need to start praying over that piece of land over there. I hope that some of you stop by every once in a while and do it. And then, as construction gets going, we need to pray for the safety of all of those workers there. And then even as the buildings go up, we need to pray for God to watch over those structures. Because we do know we live in a world where people can come and they burn houses of worship down. And things like that. That's what David's trying to get us to think about. Is sort of the the ramifications of how things are all tied together with each other. And it should sort of drive and fuel our prayer life and what we focus on. Because we're not a standalone entity like any church is. We're affected by everything that happens around us. We need to pray that we can continue to have freedom to assemble and worship here. And do the things that we want to do. Because maybe there will come a day even in our country where that won't be allowed anymore. You see. So that's why David ends the psalm the way he does. Here's what I want to end with, though, tonight. I want to come way back up to verse 1. The key for me is I was glad when they said to me, Let us go unto the house of the Lord. If all of us could approach Wednesday nights and Sundays and the times that we gather together with each other to where it's like, I get to be with them, that it literally lights us up, that we light up because it's like, we're going to be together, that it's a cause of rejoicing. Wow, what a difference that would make when we come together. But if we come with a spirit of detachment, a lack of engagement, It's gotten humdrum and routine and we're just going through the motions. Then that affects what happens when we are together. You see, I know it's hard for us to picture. But in these pilgrims and travelers' hearts, when they did start flooding into Jerusalem three times a year to gather together, it was a party. It was a celebration. These people were so glad to see each other and so glad to be together and so glad that they had the opportunity to worship the Lord together and to be able to be in an assembly, in a gathering where they could hear the voices of their fellow worshipers lifting their voices up to the Lord. There was something so encouraging about that because many of these folks came from very isolated small towns where they never heard anybody sing praises to the Lord, where their neighbors were ungodly. 
And how refreshing would it have been for them to come and hear other people lifting up praise and worship and giving God thanks. It would have been something that just so lifted them up that, man, when they left Jerusalem, they left, like, running home. But then after a time, just like us, you sort of get beat down and you need to come back again and sort of get refreshed all over again. That's why Sundays and Wednesdays are very important to me personally. Because I need it. I need to have the worship. I need to be in the Word. I need to be around you. I need that kind of encouragement and lifting of my spirits. Because even between Sunday and Wednesday, Monday and Tuesday can be hard. And there's something about even Wednesday, it can be really hard. And man, the enemy will put up every obstacle that he can to throw us into not somehow being able to come. And Sunday, Saturday night or Sunday can be such a battleground. Why? Why does it seem like everything blows up on Saturday or Sunday morning? Because the enemy doesn't want us to gather together. He doesn't want you to come and be refreshed with the people of God. He wants you to stay down. So he will throw up everything he can to keep us away from one another. And that's part of why you and I need to build into our lives a resolve that says, for the most part, unless the rapture happens and we're all gone anyway, or something real serious, for the most part, I'm going to be there. And I'm not going to just be there and show up for me. That's part of it. But I'm going to be there for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want them to see my face there. So that they can be encouraged by the gathering together of our fellow worshipers. Let that verse sink into your hearts these next couple days. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Father God, we thank you for allowing us to have a place not just a personal space with you, not just a place in our homes, but a place where we can come together as God's people in community, as a spiritual family, and where we can intersect with you, where we can meet with you in a very special way, where you can come down and be right in the midst of us, because you promise where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there in a very special way. God, we thank you for that. We know you meet with us. We feel it every Sunday and Wednesday at the Oasis. We can sense it. We know you are here. We know that you want to meet with us and lift us up 
and encourage us and strengthen us and teach us. And so, God, I pray that we would just continue to have that resolve to make it happen. And, Lord, that it wouldn't just be a, an act of duty or obligation, but that it would actually be a, an act of joy and rejoicing and gladness. That every opportunity we would get to get together with God's people would be a, a time we look forward to. A time we anticipate. A time of great expectation of what are you going to do next, God, when we get together? That's what David was trying to build in to the people of God here. And God, may we use these very old words that were penned many thousands of years ago to have force in our lives even today. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you next week.